Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We're happy to have you back with us again for another incredible story. If you are listening for the first time, welcome. We hope you enjoy the show, and we uh, hope that you would subscribe or hit the little like icon right there on our page or wherever you're listening to this podcast, and tune in each and every Friday for new episodes. Today, we are going to be talking about a paranormal story. Uh, one that has affected my life in many different ways, and and one that has affected you in, in your lifetime, Dad, in many different ways. Who are we going to be talking about, or what home are we going to be talking about? Oh, this is truly incredible, Gary. Uh, <clears throat> and this uh, goes all the way back to 1970, uh, when I first visited uh, what was left of a spectacular colonial home in Gloucester County, Virginia. Um, absolute spectacular place, and it's got some stories uh, connected to it that will make your hair curl. Mm-hmm, that's right. And the name of this place would be? Rosewell. <clears throat> now, let's talk a little bit about Rosewell's history before we go into Rosewell's lore. Uh, it was on June 28th of 1732 that an Englishman named William Hugh Rolfe was traveling up the York River from Yorktown to West Point, Virginia. And he noted in his diary that the mansion that he spotted from the river was reputed to be the best house in Virginia, better, Gary, than the regal governor's palace in Williamsburg. And we know that is a very, very majestic-looking place. People can still visit the governor's palace today in colonial Williamsburg. So uh, some historians note that the uh, formal gardens alone at Rosewell made the royal governor green with envy, not to mention the building. Now, the house was begun in uh, 1725 by a wealthy colonist named Man Page. The simple structure, if you can call it simple. Yeah, far from it. (laughs) Was a massive brick building, 60 feet tall. Now, the bricks had a a unique rose-colored tint. They could only be um, made from clay that came from a special quarry back in England, a rose-colored tint, and uh, they were shipped to the colony on the ancient, uh, you know, wooden sailing ships of the early 1700s from England to Virginia. And then uh, here in Virginia, the locals uh, building the mansion would uh, grind up oyster shells from that area to make the mortar to put the bricks together. Now, the lead in the roof supported two cupolas from which the family and their guests could gaze almost 20 miles in any direction. That had to be a spectacular view. I imagine it would have been. The building was uh, three stories tall. It was built above a basement, which was a full six feet above the ground. And there were 13-foot ceilings on the main floor, 12-foot ceilings on the second floor, and 10-foot high ceilings on the third floor. Mm, Truly a house that would have been amazing to see in person. It was a mansion. It Mm, was a mansion. It was not just a home. It was a mansion. 
There were <clears throat> three wide halls around a huge staircase. There were nine passageways, 23 rooms, two buildings with six rooms each flanking the main house. Now, can you imagine cleaning that place? Especially when they didn't no. have any plumbing? <laughs> no, I cannot. And, and by the way, uh, the local folklore has it that a carriage drawn by four horses abreast could easily execute a turn on that very wide staircase. I doubt that actually. Ever I doubt it. <laughs> a lot of people talk about those kind of things, but I seriously doubt they brought a horse into the house just to, just to try it out. Mm -hmm. So in 1970, I visited the house and uh, under circumstances that we'll describe more fully in part two of this podcast next week. But suffice it to say for now that <clears throat> I met uh, a gentleman by the name of Cecil Page. He was 86 at the time I visited in uh, 1970. Rosewell was his ancestral home. He was a direct descendant of the original builder, Man Page. Now, <clears throat> on March 16, 1916, almost 200 years after Man Page built his beautiful mansion, a fire of undetermined origin rushed through the old house, and within hours the blaze had totally gutted all four stories. When I visited it in 1970, <clears throat> which was a little more than 50 years after it burned down, um, it was still in ruins. <clears throat> there was a, a tangle of underbrush and falling bricks, and it was totally obscured from view by huge trees and thick underbrush. I'll describe all of that next week. Mm. And um, you had to pass through a cornfield to get to it. Now, Cecil Page actually saw the house burn. He was still living on the Rosewell ancestral lands, but in a different home on the land. Um, there were some other folks actually occupying the main Rosewell mansion. Mm -hmm. Now, he described to me how he woke up early that morning to begin his farm chores at his house, which was across the creek from the mansion. Right. And he said, I saw smoke just bubbling up. And uh, he ran to a neighbor's house, and soon the two of them were rowing quickly across the creek. And halfway across to the Rosewell side, he, saw the, he actually saw the roof cave in, that huge, heavy, leaded roof mm. cave in. And he was absolutely sure that the family currently living there were dead. But fortunately, Gary, they did escape with their lives, but very little else. Everything else was right. lost in the fire. Just gone. Mm -hmm. And here's what Cecil said about that. The first thing I saw was this girl and her father walking around. They had their sleeping clothes on and their faces were all black from the smoke. Now, although the family had installed a telephone in the house in 1901, there was no message sent for help. The telephone was kept locked in a closet in the dining room where the fire actually broke out. Couldn't get to it. But even if the uh, occupants had gotten to the telephone, who would they call? There were no fire companies in Gloucester County. Yeah. And um, Rosewell, after almost 200 years of existence in 1916, still had... No plumbing, if you can believe that. This beautiful, stately mansion, 1916. No plumbing? No plumbing. Now, drinking water was carried in pails to the house, and uh -huh. water for cooking was brought from the spring in a, in a actually sled-mounted barrel. And, that, and like I say, yeah. it's amazing to me. That was 1916. There should have been running. Oh, no, they should have had, they should have had water by then. Yeah. Now, Cecil believed 
And there's uh, there are different explanations as to this of course. fire. And Gary, when you're talking about lore, you may get into some of this this week or next. Um, Cecil believed that an unattended fire in the dining room fireplace was the actual cause of the fire. Here's mm-hmm. what he here's what he told me. It was a very large fireplace, and the carpet went right up to the hearth. I always believed a spark popped out. The rug started to slowly burn, and eventually the whole room was ablaze. Now, area residents offered me a different explanation, one that involved murder and treachery and the most evil of ghostly spirits who supposedly still haunts Rosewell to this day. And, Gary, we are about ready to turn that part over to you. But a word of caution before we explore a few of Rosewell's legends. Yes, yes, yes. Cecil Page told me that there have been more lies told about Rosewell than any other house in the United yeah. States. <laughs> That's a pretty incredible claim. That is an more incredible lies claim. about this house than any other house in the in the nation. So we need to leave it up to our listeners to separate the fact from the fiction connected right. with Rosewell. Now, one of the legends is not uh, connected with murder or any of the treachery you're going to uh, describe. This is a legend based in history. Some of the locals say that Thomas Jefferson drafted the Declaration of Independence on the roof of Rosewell overlooking the York River. Now, the version I was told in 1970 by locals was that Jefferson sent a draft of the Declaration from Philadelphia to his friend John Page, the owner of Rosewell, to look over. Now, uh, whether that's true or not, we don't know. Uh, There's nothing that would document something like that. We do have that mysterious fire in 1916, however, And we do know what Cecil believed was the cause, that spark from the unattended fireplace in the middle of the night. But locals had another explanation, and her name was Letitia Dalton. That's correct. Now, before I start telling this story, I have told this story so many times at my summer camp that I have kids at my school who I don't even know uh, who know the story just as well as I know it. So it's it's become very popular in our community, just so you know. Um, but Letitia Dalton, according to legend, uh, was wealthy in her own way, uh, lived in a very nice house, but she was incredibly jealous of Rosewell. She wanted that house for herself. She would have done anything to be the proud owner of Rosewell. Now, she attended many uh, events and and galas and, and other things that took place, and she always marveled at the beautiful uh, design and, and the interiors, and, and just she was in awe with it. It was her dream home, and she would have done anything, anything to get it. She was compulsively obsessive with she it. She was. Some would say she is what we would call today a sociopath. Uh, she did not care for the feelings of others. Um, she had no remorse for her actions. Um, she was in it for Letitia, plain and simple. And she, like I said, would have done anything to get what she wanted. And it's quite evident that this is true based on things that had happened to those around her. First of all, when, you, when we talk about Letitia, we have to understand that um, there is a lot of death associated with her, but nothing that could um, outright be called murder We'll just call them accidents. Strange accidents. Accidents that um, a little too coincidental for my taste. Now, the first accident uh, involved her husband. Now, Letitia had fallen out of love with her husband and 
had become very attracted to the sea captain. But of course, during the period of time that Letitia was uh, living, uh, divorce was, well, it was frowned upon. It was something that, you know, if you divorced, uh, you would be shunned in the community and like, well, why did they get divorced? And why is she with that new man? It was odd. So a lot of times you just stayed with somebody, like it or lump it, till death do you part. Now, Letitia took that a little bit too seriously because you see, her husband was in the upstairs bedroom and she had the downstairs bedroom. They shared the house together, but it seems as though their relationship you know, was definitely over. But one particular evening, it's believed that her husband may have heard his name being called or heard somebody coming into the house in the late hours of the evening. And so got up out of bed and went to the upstairs banister of her home and leaned on it. Now, it seems as though the banister had been cut just enough, not all the way through, but had been cut just enough that when the right amount of pressure was applied to the weakened structure, it would give way, which is exactly what happened. And then, of course, pow. He falls from the second floor, breaks his neck, dies instantly. What does that mean? Well, Letitia is free to marry the sea captain, who is very wealthy, and spends most of his time at sea. So she doesn't really have to see him, but she can definitely enjoy the benefits of his money. And that allows her to visit Rosewell whenever she pleases. Whenever she pleases. Now, the next death involves her sister. Now, those of us who have siblings, there may be times where we have a little tiff, maybe a little shoving when we're younger or arguing. It's typical. It's normal. It's part of being, you know, a brother or a sister. But when it gets to the stage of all-out violence, and rage, enough so that people actually call the authorities to come and check and see what's going on. Well, then that's a little bit more than just a little bit of a brother-sister or sister-sister kind of, you know, disagreement. Well, that's the kind of relationship that Letitia had with her own sister. I mean, when they fought, boy, did they fight. People from blocks away swore they could hear the two of them just going at it. So they didn't really spend a whole lot of time with each other. Quite frankly, they didn't enjoy each other's company at all. But there was this one particular time when Letitia got very sick. I mean, devastatingly ill. And, of course, the sea captain is out doing his job at sea. And so she called to her sister, you know, wrote her a letter and said, Listen, I'm not doing well. I need some extra help. Would you please come and assist me? I know we've had our disagreements in the past, but... I promise you, I will put our differences aside if you will come and help me. So the sister agrees. And within minutes or hours, the two of them just going at it. They're fighting like crazy. Well, I guess one could say that Letitia had had enough. So she said to her sister one day dear sister could you please go out to the greenhouse and get me some fresh grapes so the sister said okay so she went out to the greenhouse now I'm not sure if some bolts were loosened or if that saw had mysteriously cut something else free that wouldn't have been too obvious to notice in the first place but 
When the sister entered the greenhouse and shut the door, one half of the greenhouse, one half of the greenhouse collapsed on her, crushing her to death. Oops, no more sister. Now, the final death associated with Letitia could honestly be considered an accident, but it was also the straw that broke the camel's back. You see, there was a young slave boy who was on her property, and this was during the slave times, and one of her prized racehorses had gotten out of its stable. And so she commanded the young boy to go out and find her prized racehorse and bring it back. Now, in this area of Virginia, there are a lot of swamps and there are some quicksand pits. So it is believed that the boy and the horse may have um, died or succumbed to the elements because of, well, the area that they lived in. Needless to say, the boy and the horse never returned home. Now, the boy's mother happened to be Letitia's cook. And quite frankly, she had seen and heard enough. And this had more than affected her life in a major way. Her son was gone and more than likely was dead. So she was going to get her own brand of justice. So one evening, the cook prepared a very special meal for Letitia. Letitia gobbled it up and enjoyed it very much. But that evening, she had violent stomach cramps. She screamed and howled. Neighbors said that they could hear her clear as day, just writhing in agony. By morning, she was dead. She had been poisoned. Now, going back to the legend of Rosewell, some believe it's possible that in death, Letitia could not let go of that house. And maybe in some odd, mysterious way, her spirit decided that if she couldn't have it, then nobody else would either. And just maybe, that's why the house burned down. Of course, this is all speculation. It's a ghost story. It's legend. But who knows? So, that's the story behind Rosewell. Next week, when we get back together, we are going to tell you exactly what happened when a certain somebody sitting across from me decided to go with a group of uh, journalists from his local TV station to do a Halloween special at Rosewell. And we'll also tell you what happened to the souvenir that he brought back and how it changed my life forever. <laughs> and this is no legend. This is no legend. But you know what? It's that time again. Ah, oh, I'm Richard, I think. And I'm Gary. And this is only the beginning <laughs> of an incredible story. Join us next week. And like I said, if you like us and you like what you heard, hit that like button and subscribe. Come back every Friday for new episodes 